Well, good morning. How we doing? Doing well? Good. Hey, well, glad you guys are here this morning. Happy Labor Day. Happy Labor Day. I'm not really sure what Labor Day is about, but we are glad that it's happening, and we're glad that we don't have school Monday. Uh, my name is Aiden, as Dan said, uh, one of the newer pastors here on staff. I've kind of been on staff for about four years, but about six months as a pastor, and so I get to work with all the music teams and the creative teams. So I'm going to take this moment to say, if you're here and you play an instrument or something, like fill out your connection card. Let me hear from you. If you're a drummer, don't you think about leaving without filling out that connection card. I would love to hear from you. But I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, like I said, I've been a pastor for just six months now. So it's, it's kind of a new endeavor. It lends itself to some new opportunities, some new things. And it's, it's fun, but sometimes it's kind of challenging. Like walk into a room, you walk into a situation and Usually when people are expecting a pastor, they expect someone like a little bit older. You know what I mean? So I'll kind of walk in, they're like, oh, okay. And so that's, that's kind of new. And so a couple, a couple of months ago, I tried to just shave a mustache to look a little bit older. It didn't help at all. My wife said that you need to earn a mustache. That some of the, there's some guys in here with mustaches and they're like, yeah, I had to raise kids and fix cars to earn this mustache. And so, so we shaved that off. My, my wife is a big fan of me being a pastor because she wins every disagreement, every argument now that I've been a pastor, she wins every time because, because of this, because we get into, we get into a little, little disagreement, a little snafu, and we'll kind of be going back and forth, and somewhere I step across the line, I say something I should not have said, and she goes, oh, really, Pastor Aiden? <laughs> oh, really? And someone, someone after the first gathering said, do you really say that? And she's like, heck yes, I do. I absolutely do. And so I love getting to be a pastor. I love all the teams and all the individuals uh, I get to, get to work with and get to hang out with. It's a lot of fun. And we are in the second week of just a short three-week series called Living uh, to Make Jesus Make Sense. And so what we're doing is we're taking a, a, a deep look at the gospel We're looking at the gospel and we're saying, how do we live in such a way? What does it look like to live in such a way in light of the gospel that Jesus might make sense to the people around us? That that the conversations that we have and the things that we say, the way that we represent our faith um, through conversation through the people around us, what does that look like? What does that look like in our own lives? Because church-wide, as a church, making Jesus make sense is one one of our main values. And so it's simply this, it's simply a filter by which it, it helps us decide the things that we'll do and the, and the things that we won't do. So th- does this thing help Jesus make sense? Because we don't want to assume that Jesus just makes sense to everybody, right? We don't want to assume that everybody driving by, everybody showing up, like, yeah, Jesus, you get the whole story. That's cool. Let's go on. Like, it's frustrating. Maybe you've experienced this. It's frustrating when someone knows how to do something really well, and they just assume you know how to do it too and they get frustrated with you, right? Like maybe someone's building something or fixing something, and they're like, come on, this is how you do it. And you're like, I don't understand. I don't understand how to do this. Like, have you, have you guys ever experienced that before where someone expects you to understand, and you just don't understand? It's frustrating, right? Like, that's, that's kind of how I feel about maps. Like, like maps, you pull out your glove box and like kind of help you go somewhere, maps. Like, I'm, I'm not bad with directions. I'm just terrible with maps, I'm not sure if it's because I don't know where I am in regards to the map, but maps are, are not very helpful to me. They're kind of confusing. They don't make a lot of sense. In early college, me and one of my good friends, who's the best man in my wedding, we, we were in early college. We, we didn't have girlfriends for reasons that will become clear. But we, we decided one night, it was a Saturday night at like 8 o'clock. We're like, let's just get in the car. We just started driving. There's like a hazy, weird Saturday night. You're like, are we asleep right now? And we just started driving south on 77. We went through Canton, and then we kept driving south. All of a sudden, we're in West Virginia. And so, so I said, hey, when I was a kid, I went to Virginia Beach. 
I went to Virginia Beach, it's real cool. It's February, it's 11 o'clock at night. We have no money, why don't we go to Virginia Beach? And so we did. But this was, this was before the dawn of iPhones and it was, we didn't have a GPS, so we did it the old fashioned way. We got out at a truck stop and we looked at this map on the wall that was kind of a map of the East Coast. And, and we, we kind of took our best guess at how we would get to the beach if we were gonna go to the beach like we are. And so we took our best guess. It was right by a bathroom and a, a truck driver came out and we kind of asked and he was like, I'm, no, I don't. He didn't help us give directions very well because it looked kind of weird. And so we just were like, all right, we're just gonna do it. We're gonna go on our way. And so we got in the car and we started driving. We started driving. We started driving, kept driving. And you get to that weird like 4.30 where you're like, I'm questioning my existence right now. I don't know. It's like, there's no reason behind why we did this. And so we're driving, we're in the car for like 12 hours, which if you know where Virginia Beach is, you shouldn't be in the car that long. And the, the, sun, the sun starts coming up and we're like, huh, we should have seen a sign. Why don't, why don't we get out and check, check out the situation? So we get out at this like rest stop. There's this big, apparently it was a welcome center. And we're looking, we're like, here's Virginia Beach. Where are all the towns we've been going through? And we realize that all the towns we've been going through are like clear on the other side of the state, like six hours away. And so, you know what we did? We just turned around and went home. We just turned around and drove another 12 hours. It was like a 24-hour trip for no reason because simply maps don't make sense. Maps do not make sense. I told this story the other day to, to this camp we were at and the lady in the back was like, I'm actually a something something cartographer. She was a professional map maker. And I'm like, they don't make sense to me. And I have to imagine that's how for lots of people, and maybe it's you, maybe you've been through this where you're like, that's how I feel about the church. They're talking about worthy is the lamb that was slain and they've got their hands in the air and it's not even lunch yet. This place is weird. It doesn't make much sense to me. It doesn't make much sense. And so what we want to do as a church and why we're having this conversation that through our lives, how do we live in such a way that Jesus makes sense, that Jesus isn't this abstract idea but the story of God, the story of Jesus makes sense. And so Adam kind of kicked us off um, last week talking about the why, talking about the motivation behind why we live in such a way that Jesus would make sense. And And he talked about how one of the reasons is that the whole Bible paints a picture of Jesus, that all scripture, the entire Bible, what's in the back of your seats is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not a collection of tips and tricks for healthy living. I'm sure Oprah wrote plenty of those things. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is the story of Jesus. He talked about that story, that story of Christ tells us that that we we are dead in our sins and we need new life. That through Christ, we have new spiritual life in him. That we don't just need pointed the right direction. We aren't just here some advice. We need need to be made new. And ultimately, this is what he talked about. The motivation, the why behind why we live to make Jesus make sense. Why would we have those conversations? Why would that be at the front of our mind? Why would we have those conversations? Are because Christ first loved us. That we love, we live in such a way that, that reflects the love that's been given to us by Christ. We don't love, we don't, hey, you're a Christian, so you should tell your friends about Jesus, go do it. Okay, hope God loves me. That's not why. The why is because God has loved us. First John says that we love because Christ loved us. And that's the reason why. And so what that is referred to as, if you've been in here for 15 minutes or you've been here for 50 years, is that's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. And the gospel simply says this. It says this. uh, In Colossians 1, it says that the Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. That, That Jesus came to earth 
that God might make sense to us. Jesus came that God might make sense to us. The Bible says that he relates to us in every way. He relates to us in our suffering. He goes through everything that we go through, but without sin. That, that God is not indifferent. God didn't get things turning and peace out. That's not the story. The story is that God showed love. He was not indifferent towards us. That's where the gospel starts. And it wasn't just that Jesus is, is with us, but that the story of Easter tells us that Jesus came in our place. Jesus came in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That Jesus took our place on the cross. And now this is the Easter story that Jesus, he lived a perfect life, became the perfect sacrifice for all the evil, all the sinful things we've done. And he took all those things on the cross with himself in our place. And after those things had been dead and gone with Christ in the grave, he rose again on the third day. It's why Easter is such a big deal. That we're singing about Jesus coming back to life and we partake in that new life with him. It's the good news of the gospel. It's the motivation behind why we live in such a way to make Jesus make sense. And this is, this is what I, I, like, I kind of got to stop and think. Like, I, I, I get it. It's 12. It's right before lunchtime. It's a Sunday morning. We're just kind of hanging out. I, I don't know what your views of God is. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you drove by your whole life and you came in today. I don't know where you're at with all this stuff. But I think this is where we need to start from. And I know this, this daily is where I need to start from. I know it is that we need to have a huge view of who God is. Like this whole story isn't just like, that's a nice fact. Jesus died for me. How nice of him. Like it's gotta be, it's gotta be big. Like think about it. Like do you stop and think about it? That this God who is greater than anything we can imagine, that he's beyond our comprehension. He is the creator of all things. He exists before all things. He will exist after all things. And that this God who is unimaginably, unimaginably pure, holy, right? Like he's perfect. He's perfect. That the breath in which he spoke to create things is still the same breath that's sustaining creating life today. That that God came as a baby. He came as a baby. Like a lot of my friends kid, are having kids and babies are cute, but they like can't do anything. Like it's a baby. And that this holy, perfect, ridiculous God comes into contact with us and we are very sinful, very messed up. At least I know I am. And so how does that work? That God sent himself, he created this, this story, this system in which he has these expectations and he himself fulfills them through Christ so that we may reap what he has sown for us. It's a mind-blowing story. It's a mind-blowing story, right? It's this ridiculous, beautiful, grace-filled, merciful story. And that's where we have to start. If we're going to talk about how do we live in such a way to make Jesus make sense in our lives, if the gospel is not that big a deal, if the gospel is just nice, then just be nice, I guess. But if the gospel really is this, it's going to change the way that we see things. Let's start from here. That the beauty, the beauty of the gospel is mind-blowing and it will change the way that I see everything. The beauty of the gospel is mind-blowing and it'll change the way I see everything. It has to, right? In, in, in your, in your, there's Bibles behind the seats, and I think we're going to be page 238. Matt, is that the right page? 238? I forget what page it was. There's the second slide. I forgot to say it. Yeah, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to start in verse 16. I believe it's page uh, 938 in the Bibles in the back of your seats. Yes, I guessed it right. 938. And so this is, this is what it says. Paul says this. He's writing this letter, and he says, So from now on, 
we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And so the beauty of the gospel is mind-blowing. It changes the way I'll see everything. And I love that Paul says this. He uses this, this word point of view or perspective or, or lens. And I think this is an interesting thing, right? It's interesting. Like, have you guys, do you guys remember the back of like an Applejack box that depending upon how you looked at different things, like they look different? Or maybe you've been like an art gallery where depending upon how you look at a piece of art, it like looks different. Like perspective is just an interesting concept. At least it's, it's interesting to me. And, and when I was in high school, I had a, a friend who was way taller than me. We just, out of sheer height, had a different perspective, which doesn't take much to be taller than me, but he was way taller, and we went to Chippewa High School. And so we'd be walking through the halls, and you'd hear a fight up ahead. Like once every four years, we got a fight at Chippewa. And I go, I could hear it, but he could see it because he had a different perspective. He had a different perspective. And that, that kind of made me realize that a lot of the pastors on staff are very tall people. Like I snapped a couple pictures. Pastor Adam is very tall. My eyes aren't open in that picture. Pastor Jonathan is also very tall. And Pastor Greg is also very tall. Like there's a lot of tall guys on staff. And there's one person that I am taller than on staff. You know him, Pastor Bob. Got him beat. Yes. But, per, but it's, it's interesting. Perspective is interesting. Like depending upon which side of the political aisle you're on, you see everything differently depending upon where you grew up, what your background is, what the things you've been through, the things you've seen, the things you've experienced, you have a different perspective, a different point of view, right? When I started driving, when I was, when I was 15 and a half, I started driving at the appropriate age, my, my dad gave me some driving advice. Maybe you got similar advice, but this was his advice. Assume that everybody on the road's an idiot. Did anybody else get similar advice as I did from my father? And this is what he meant. This is what he meant. He's nice. He meant just assume that the, that the other cars are going to do the wrong thing, right? Assume that person's going to pull out. Assume that person's not going to stop. Like we call this defensive driving is what it's called. Well, I is in one year, out the other year. I'm 15 and a half, whatever. However, when I was in early college, early college was a big deal. Early college, it's driving north on 21. This guy ain't stopping. And sure enough, we got in this huge wreck. And after the smoke cleared, after we got the glass windows fixed, after we got the medical bills, it changed my perspective. I know I, I drive very differently now. My wife makes fun of me. I drive very elderly styled. I ve- drive very differently, especially, especially when I'm coming up on that intersection. Like I'm waiting for him. Like I drive very differently. My perspective changed because of this truth, because of something that happened. I think that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, if all this is true about the gospel, if this news is as good as it is, if God is as big as he really is, it's going to change the way we see things. It's going to change the way we interact with pain. It's going to interact, it's going to change the way we interact with joy. It's going to change the way we interact with God. And it's going to change the way that we see ourselves. This is our second point, that the power, the power of the gospel changes the way that I see myself. The power of the gospel changes the way that I see myself. It has to. If it really is this grandiose and it's this story, it has to change the way that I see myself. We'll jump back into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 17 and 18 say this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
it, it might be a little point, but I think it's important that in this, in this story of the gospel, in this radical nature of God's grace, that we have to see ourselves honestly. Or, or maybe another word is, is humbly. That it's God who comes to us. It's that his grace is a gift that we receive. I love this phrase that, that grace always runs downhill towards us because we're in need of it. That, that we're looking at all of this is from God. Ephesians 2 uh, says this, it kind of echoes this same notion. It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. That grace comes to us in spite of ourselves. That we view ourselves humbly, we view ourselves honestly in light of God's grace, in light of the good news that's come to us. There's a guy named uh, David Zoll who wrote a book about uh, the gospel and rock and roll. And he kind of says it this way. He says that the gospel is news not only because it addresses our plight, but also because it comes wholly from outside of ourselves. It's not something we could have discovered, invented, or imagined. It's news because it's new. It arrives from beyond the boundaries of our ego, beyond all that we know. It's news from across the seas, from the other side of the unbridged gulf between humans and God. That we see ourselves, honestly, we see ourselves humbly because the gospel naturally humbles us because it's a work of God on behalf of us, a work of God towards us. And so we start from there that we have to see ourselves humbly, see ourselves honestly, but we also get to see ourselves as God's partners in what he's doing. We're called his partners, we're called his friends. In the next chapter, in chapter six, he calls us his co-workers. Like I wish, I wish there was a, little, like a, a potent word for that, but he calls us into the work that he's doing. If you're here and you call yourself a believer, he doesn't call you just to sit and watch. He doesn't call you just to vote a certain way and don't cuss. Like he calls us into the work that he's doing. He calls us into something. We're not just called to watch. I know sometimes you're a Christian, cool, go tell your friends. And it's just something to do. That's not what it is. He calls us into the work that he's doing. And we'll take a look at what that specific work is. But have you ever, have you ever had that feeling or had that experience of being invited into something? Like you go from like the JV team to the varsity team, go from the kids table to the adult table. Like that feeling of being called into something. Like, have you guys like experienced that? Like, I think that's a little bit more of the flavor in which we see ourselves when the gospel changes our perspective. Like, I remember being a middle school kid. I remember being a sixth grade kid. I was terrible at piano. I didn't practice. Some piano teacher gave me a drum set. I was playing drums. I loved it. And I'd go to my friend's house. And his older siblings, they had a band. And they were downstairs, like, just making noise it was awesome. I was like a weird middle schooler. My mom dressed me. I wasn't very cool, but these guys were cool. These guys were awesome. And so I would go over there. I'd kind of like go downstairs and watch them play and check it out. It's it probably creepy in retrospect, like me just watching these guys play. But I thought they were so cool. You know, this was this is a real life high school rock band. They were probably terrible, but I thought it was so cool. And so I, I used to go down and just watch these guys all the time. And there was, there was, a, there was a day where one of the guys... It's a fun fact. It's actually Pastor Tony Levigny from the Medina campus. He was part of it. And they said, hey, Aiden, do you want to jump on the drums? I don't even know how they knew I played the drums. But they said, hey, do you want to jump on and play the drums? And so as nervous as I could be, like a wind-up like monkey toy, I went up and, and got to play the drums with these guys. It, it, it was, it was, it was a, a changing moment. Like there was a lot of magnitude in that moment because I was invited into something. I was invited to be a part of something. It wasn't just 
play the drums? Could you play the, just play the drums? Like, that's not what it was. It was, hey, we have this thing going on. Do you want to be a part of what we're doing? And I think that's a picture of who we are as God's partners. That we're not just called to sit and watch. We're not just, yeah, I saved you. We'll see you in heaven. Like, the, the, the passage says that we are appointed, that God raises us up to do work that he's doing. He calls us into this story of redemption, the story of grace, the story of mercy, the same grace that has come to us. He uses us as conduits of it. He says, come on, let's go. Like, I don't know how that hits you, but, it, but I have to think of it that way. I have to see it that way or else it's just something I gotta do. But man, when I, when I see myself as one called into the work that God's doing, it changes my mind. It changes my heart about things, right? That, that when we're invited into something, it gives us purpose and it gives us identity. Not just something to do, that we are valued when we're asked to be a part of something, when we're called to be a part of something. I think that's what God calls us to. And in this, he calls us to something very specific. He doesn't just call us to this abstract concept of spirituality. He calls us to something specific. He calls us with a specific message in a specific role, that the gospel needs to change the way that we see ourselves, that we see ourselves with a specific message and with a specific role in God's work. And so Pastor Adam kind of talked about this last week, the specific message. Well, what's the message? It's reconciliation. It's a very churchy word, isn't it? Reconciliation. But I want to put a little skin on it because it's a very powerful word when we're looking at the story of God, the story of the gospel. That, that reconciliation, and again, Adam talked about this last week, but it means to bring back to friendship after estrangement or to harmonize. That the, Bible, the Bible even says it this way, that we were enemies of God. We were dead in our transgressions. We were dead in our sins. We were far from him. And God made a way that we might be reconciled back to him, that we might be called back to him, that God has made the first step. God has stepped towards us to bring harmony with that unbridged gulf between man and humans, that God, God reconciled us to himself. And this, this guy, Justin Holcomb, uh, I think he says it probably a little bit better than I can. He kind of walks through this passage. He says, reconciliation is both an accomplished fact and a continuing process. Although it's a done deed as a result of Christ's work on the cross, it nonetheless must be personally appropriated. This is where Paul, the guy writing this letter, and the gospel ministry fit into the picture. He and those like him function as God's agents in proclaiming what has been accomplished. To use Paul's language, God has appointed them to preach the word of reconciliation, and so they, you and me, proclaim be reconciled to God, that the ones who God has reconciled become the means by which he tells people about his reconciliation. It's beautiful. It's beautiful that the ones who are broken, we see ourselves, honestly, we see ourselves as ones who have no power within of ourselves to make our way to God, but that we were reconciled to God when he stepped in our place, when he came towards us. And now he says, you, I want you to be the ones who tell the story. I want you to be the ones who tell a story. And so what he would call us is, is ambassadors, that the specific message is reconciliation and the specific role that we have is ambassadors of Christ. Uh, uh, verse 20 says this. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though, as though God were making his appeal, as though God were making his message to the world known through us that we implore you on Christ's behalf, 
be reconciled to God. And so again, that word, that word ambassador maybe is as punchy as the word reconciliation. Like it's not like a whoo word. But, but it's a powerful word when we put it in our context. Like an ambassador is simply a representative of something. Like there's a message and the ambassador is the container by which this message is communicated, right? Like it's a, it's a pretty simple picture, right? This might be a bad analogy, but I kind of think of it this way. That I am a big fan of soundtracks. Anybody else a big fan of soundtracks? Yeah, like, like movie soundtracks. Like I just love soundtracks. Like it, it kind of distorts my view of movies sometimes. Like in, in one of my, you'll see this in a second. One of my favorite movies is a very cool, very hip movie with all the moms called We Bought a Zoo. Anybody else like the movie? Anybody else like, yeah, got a couple moms. Yeah, yeah, We Bought a Zoo. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. But I realized this is why I love We Bought a Zoo. I love it because it has this awesome soundtrack. It's one of the reasons I like it. It has a great soundtrack. My wife actually walked down the aisle to a song from this movie. Like, I, oh yeah, I love this movie. And so one of my good friends, Brandon Jones, uh, he's in the back here. He, we used to share an office together for like three years. And he, he did a lot of the video uh, around the church. And he's a true, uh, like, movie fanatic. Like, he, he sees every movie. Like, he's seen, like, 70 movies in the last couple. Like, he sees everything. He so dives into the stories afterwards. He finds all these, like, hipster movie theaters in Cleveland that, like, run him on film and stuff. He's like a true movie guy. And so we used to have this office together. And I'm like, dude, you got to see We Bought a Zoo, bro. you got to see We Bought a Zoo. And he's like, yeah, I'll get there. And so after a couple years, he, he, he I think his girlfriend won the argument. And so he, he, he saw We Bought a Zoo one night. And he came into work on Monday. And he's like, Aiden, so what was it about it that, why do you like that movie so much? And I'm like, oh, it's the, and I realized it's a nice movie. It's, it's fine. Matt Damon's cute. But nothing really happens. Like nothing dramatic happens. I realized that the reason I loved this movie was because of the soundtrack. Like that's really the main reason I like the movie. Like if you put a different soundtrack to it, I probably wouldn't like the movie as much. The, the movie became the container, the movie was the ambassador by which I received the soundtrack. That the soundtrack was this life-changing thing, my wife came down the aisle to it. The soundtrack was a big deal, and it was communicated by means of this movie. And I think that's kind of a blurry picture of what it means to be an ambassador. That this message of reconciliation, like that's, that's the big deal, right? Like if this story is this mind-blowing, this message that this God is calling us back to himself, whew, big deal. And we, I don't know, you may look at yourself and be like, whew, okay, so I don't know Greek. I really don't know all the Bible stories. How many bucks are in the Bible? Like, I'm not sure. Like, I feel like maybe you should find a different ambassador, a different representative for you, God. But if you're here and you call yourself a Christian, you said yes to Jesus, that's, that's what you claim. Ready or not, you're an ambassador of God. You're an ambassador of the story of reconciliation, and it's a beautiful thing, right? That we, we represent the heart and the mind of Christ. And sometimes I think we put too much pressure on ourselves. Like, like I said, like, ooh, I don't know if I know the things to say. I don't know. But we are the, 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 the messengers of the reconciliation message. That we are the messengers of that. And sometimes we just need to get out of the way and let, let God work through us. Let, let this beautiful message of reconciliation work through us. That there's this beautiful message and he uses people just like you and me broken and beat up as we are, as his messengers of grace. Like, the whole thing is beautiful, right? Like, don't just let it be commonplace. 
It's beautiful. I have to remind myself, my prayer is that this wouldn't just become stale to me. Because daily it does. And I need to dive into the truth and the beauty of this grace. And so Paul says we need a new perspective. That this new perspective, if all this is true, it's going to change the way that I see myself. It's going to change the way in which I see God. It's going to change the way in which I see the world around me. We'll throw 16 back up here. It says this. So from now on, because of the gospel, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So it begs the question, what's a worldly point of view? I think just a worldly point of view is simply a, a transactional point of view. And it's not necessarily, not necessarily always a bad thing. But I think that a worldly point of view is by, by nature transactional. That we have this relationship because it makes me feel good. Or I do this thing because I get paid. Or this is, you know what I mean? And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But Paul's saying that's not the way in which we view the world. He says, we used to view Christ that way. I can't tell you the amount of friends that I had that, yeah, Jesus, can't wait. This is great. Woo! Oh, man, my life still stinks. Forget the Jesus thing. That we don't view Jesus by means of what can he do for me. It's a worldly perspective. We have a different point of view because of what God has done for us. We see Jesus differently. We don't just look for the gifts that Jesus gives, but Jesus in and of himself, what he's done and who he is, is the gift. Like this gospel changes the way we even interact with Christ. We, we no longer view him from a worldly perspective. That's a struggle. But I think, I think one of the biggest things that this changes is that it changes the way we see ourselves, it changes the way we see God, but it changes the way that we see people around us. It has to. If we view ourselves honestly, if we, if we deal with ourselves honestly and humbly in that we're like, man, I am broken and it is a result of God's grace that I have a relationship with him then that same, that same point of view is going to change the way in which I interact with people around us. And let's just say, we'll say it this way, that the heart of the gospel, the heart of the gospel changes the way I see people's hearts. That the, the heart of the gospel is that this all-powerful, perfect, holy, just God made his way to sinners. That grace ran downhill, mercy runs downhill that his justice and his love and his grace and his goodness come towards us, that that's the heart of the gospel. And that heart changes the way that we see other people's hearts. And we kind of, we see this with Jesus. We see the way in which he interacted with people. If you just kind of, I was just broadly thinking through the gospels, through the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and some of the people that Jesus interacts with, that he always saw people different. That kids, they weren't just interruptions to what the adults were doing. They were hearts to be influenced. That social outcasts, people with leprosy, people with these things that Jesus came across, they weren't gross, but they needed recognized and loved and cared for. That people of other races, people of other backgrounds that Jesus came into contact with, they weren't his enemies or less than he was, but they were his equals that needed the same grace that he was offering to everybody else. That sinners, people that lived in this dirty way, they weren't a group of people to avoid, but they were a group of people to be loved and to be led and to be showed grace. That there's even a point where Jesus interacted with a religious leader who was kind of struggling with some questions about who he was and all this stuff. Jesus engaged him in his questions. That Jesus saw people differently. Jesus saw people differently. We'll throw up Matthew 9, 36 says this. When he saw the crowds, he was going from town to town, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That this is the way Jesus 
viewed people, that everybody he came across, that everybody he came into contact with was in need of something. People were in need of a shepherd. That those feel like heavy words, like harassed and helpless. Like, dang. But we were, we were in need of a shepherd. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with Middle Eastern ancient shepherd culture, because I'm not very familiar with it. But, but we, we talked about this just a couple weeks ago in a series about the 23rd Psalm. That the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we kind of unpacked this. I'd encourage you to check it out online. But Dan kind of talked through us, and he talked about this, that Jesus is the good shepherd, And that a shepherd guides, a shepherd protects, a shepherd directs, saves, leads, loves. And Jesus, as the good shepherd, ultimately lays his life down for a sheep. He lays his life down. That we need to see everybody as people in need of a shepherd. Helpless and harassed. And that sounds like, helpless and harassed sound like heavy words, right? But think about it. I was just kind of, I was just kind of, writing a little bit, and I was thinking about this, this harassed and this helpless thing. I was thinking about how everybody, everybody we interact with is looking for a love that will be there no matter what. We're looking for forgiveness for our regrets and meaning in the mundane things of life, that we've all been harassed by the expectations of others and even the voices in our own heads. We can often find ourselves helpless to the reality of life experiences We can find ourselves helpless to the pain of loss, helpless to the confusion of relationships, helpless to the disappointment of unfulfilled expectations. That in one way or another, when we see ourselves honestly, when we look at ourselves realistically, when we look at ourselves and we see the way that people are around us, that we're all in one way or another helpless and harassed like sheep in need of a shepherd. Like maybe, maybe the way you view people, and I know I struggle with this, obviously, but you interact with people and you're like, they are just so needy. Like there's probably a reason. That person is so prideful and so mean. Mm, my kids won't be like that. Like I wonder why they're like that. That person is so negative. Or that person just doesn't take anything. I know that I have reasons for the way I am and I know it's because I'm harassed and helpless and in need of a shepherd. But Jesus saw people that way. And when we're honest, when we see the story of the gospel and the way it changes everything, it changes the way that we see people. That people aren't obstacles to our ideal life and our ideal schedule. That people aren't just roadblocks to what we're trying to do. But people in their stories and in their needs are loved by Jesus and in need of reconciliation, in need of grace from a loving God. In need of grace from a loving God. That, that that cashier who's moving super slow, that kind of weird neighbor, that crazy family member, y'all got one. The family's all sitting in here, so it's one of them. <laughs> that they're all in need of grace, right? They're all in need of the same grace because when we look at ourselves, honestly, it's a lot easier to look and say, whew, I failed, I need this. It's a lot harder when it flips and we have to give that to somebody else, right? We see ourselves honestly that the people in our lives, the people that Jesus has put in our lives, are people that are in need of this grace the same way that we are. And so I just just want to stop and just think about it for a second, that if this this paradigm-shifting gospel, this good news, wish I had more big, beautiful words to explain this, but if this is the truth, if this is the mystery behind what life is about, behind who God is and what he's like, if that is what this is, it's going to change the way that we see things. It's going to change the way that we see all the things we deal with in life. It's going to change the way in which we interact with God himself. It's going to change the way that we see ourselves. 
it's got to change the way we see the people around us. And so I want to like talk to two groups of you because I know that there's two groups of you in here. That you may be, you may be here. You may just came with a friend. You came with your girlfriend or whatever, and you're like, yeah, I don't really know this whole Jesus deal. I see it on the news, and it's insane. I'm not sure where you're at with this whole Jesus thing. And so I'd encourage you just to keep coming. I'd encourage you, I, my words to you would be like, just, just keep coming. Like, we're glad you're here. And, and one thing Dan said earlier, that we're starting a series in a couple weeks, on the 17th, we're looking at big questions. Big questions that, frankly, don't make sense to people. That we just want to help shed some light on them. We don't have the answers to everything. But we want to shed light we want to shed gospel light. We want to shed gospel perspective on some of these questions. I encourage you, come to that series. Come ask questions if you're here and you're not sure what you think about all this God stuff. I'd encourage you to come to that. And can I say this to you if you're here and you're not a believer? Can I, for myself and on account of a lot of Christians, can I just apologize for the bad job that we frequently do at representing Jesus? Hallelujah. And you turn on the news, you're like, ooh, I don't want to be part of that. Jeez. And I know that even in my own life, I do a terrible job of representing that. But this is what I would say. I would say that that is the very sole reason that I need Jesus. And I think I would speak for my other friends that are Christians is that we do such a crappy job and we need Jesus. That is why we believe, we don't believe these things. We don't gather because we think we're awesome. You guys should get on the board. We gather because we're in need of reconciliation. We're in need of grace. And so that's what I'd say to you if you don't believe. And, and if you are here and you are like, yes, I am a Christian. I've, I've said yes to Jesus. I'm, yes, that's what my life is about. I would ask, what is your point of view? What is your primary? Like we have lots of different perspectives. Like I don't care who you voted for. I don't care what the things you like. Like that's great. But what's your primary lens through which you see the world? What's your primary perspective? Like, is it a political lens? Like, is that how I see everything? And if you're on this side, you're on the wrong side, my friend. You need to get on this side. Like, is that how you view people and view yourself and view the world? Or maybe you view the world through terms of like your own happiness, that, man, everything in life, I'm just trying to get things to go smooth, that I see things and I make decisions and I interact with people based on just, just make this an easy day. I know that's where I am a lot of times. Or maybe you're here and you've been through some real crap in your life. You've been through some real hard times that, that I am in no way discounting. Absolutely no way. There's things that people go through I can't even understand. Dan just talked about this a couple weeks ago. But my question would be, what's, what's your, if you call yourself a Christian, what's, your primary, what's the primary lens by which we interact with people? And I'm, I, I've said this the last two services, like, I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself. Dan said whenever he preaches a sermon, it seems like that week, that's the thing that keeps coming up. Like, I'm preaching to myself. Like, yeah, Aiden, how do you view people? How do you, what's your lens, Aiden? What's up with you? Like, this, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. But if you're a Christian, you're here, how do you view yourself? How do you view yourself? Do you, feel, do you view yourself as just a product of the bad decisions you made, a product of, of just failures, and I'm like, eh, you know, God, that's cool. Ambassador, oh, there's probably somebody better for that job. I could probably find you 10 people better, not me. Is that how you view yourself? Because if you are a Christian, this is what I tell you. That when God sees you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees what Jesus has done in place for you. That's the motivation. Do you see yourself that way? Do you see, or are you like, ah, no, I'm just a, I'm just a divorcee, or I'm just, I'm recovering, or I'm just a failure, or I just, I'm just a mechanic, I'm just a mom, I'm just trying to manage five kids. I'm just a, or do you see yourself 
as an ambassador of Christ. Do you see, like, do you see yourself as somebody who God has called into the circle? Who God, who God wants to partner with, who God wants to use all the, the decisions, all the experiences. He wants to use all the things that you've gone through in your life to paint his story of reconciliation to the people around you. Like, do you view yourself that way? It's beautiful, isn't it? It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. How do you view, how do you view the people in your life? This one gets me, man, because people are crazy. Like, how do you view the people in your life? Because if we view ourselves honestly, if we're honest with ourselves that I'm in need of God's grace daily, man. Man, I'm in need of forgiveness. I'm in need of reconciliation. I'm, grace ran straight downhill to me. Don't you think that the people in our lives are in need of the same grace? I, I need to remind myself of that because you know why? Because people are crazy. I need to remind that the grace that came to me is the same grace that God wants to offer through me. So I'm going I'm to invite Ryan and the band to come out. And we're we're going we're gonna to close out uh, in a song here with a familiar song. And, and this is what I would say. I'm not, I know I'm not very old and haven't been through a ton of things, but I do know this, that whenever you're somewhere and, and the gospel is preached and you feel something, you're like, yes. We're going we're gonna to do it. I'm going to leave and I'm going to be throwing roses at everybody and I'm going to be a whole new person. It's going to be magical. Just picture yourself in 15 minutes hungry at home. You're going to be a jerk. With that, you, don't, you don't white knuckle it and leave and say, I'm going to be a different person. <sighs> Can't wait. Like that's, that's not what's going to change your heart. That might change you for 15 minutes and your wife will love it, but it's not going to change your heart. That the way in which we truly enact these things, the way in which the gospel really takes root and that I interact with God differently, that I see people differently, that I see myself the way that God sees me, the only way that that happens is by drawing near and being more and more reliant upon Jesus and who he is. That when I wake up in the morning, when Jesus is my only hope, when Jesus is the only way in which I can stand before this holy, righteous God and have a relationship the only, the only way in which I can get through the day is because of Jesus, because of not the gifts that he gives, but because of who he is. That Jesus is my hope, that Jesus is my strength, that Jesus is my... When I constantly, the need to dive back into that, my reliance upon Jesus, that's where these things are going to be, be fruitful. Not just through my own efforts, but the only way that any of this is going to change is if, if the gospel is a treasure in my heart that I desperately need, that when I'm honest with myself, I'm like, I need God's grace. I need Jesus' goodness. I need his forgiveness. I need his hope. I need his promises. That the deeper that we go into that is the only way in which the fruit of, of this perspective is going to bear out in our lives. And so we're just going to sing a song about that here to close. And I would encourage you, like, don't sneak out. Just stay. I'm up here every week. I see you sneaking out. The kids will be there. They'll be there. They're not going anywhere. Just take, just take four and a half minutes and just maybe spend some time with God. Be like, God, I need to be reminded of your greatness. I need to be reminded of who you've made me to be. I need to be reminded that, that I need to see people the same way that you see me, God. Let's go ahead and pray together. God, we're, we're thankful for your grace. We're thankful that grace runs downhill towards us. God, help us to be honest. Help us to be true with you that, that we are in desperate need of you. We know that all of this is from you. 
that the beauty of grace, the beauty of mercy, the justice of a loving, unimaginably large God comes from you. And that, that as, as we walk through life, as we walk through the mundane, as we walk through the pain, as we walk through our days, Jesus, help us to look to you as our source of strength, as our source of hope, as our source of righteousness, Jesus, help us look to you alone. I pray that in these next five minutes that we sing this song, that you would stir something inside of our, our hearts, God, that only you can stir. And maybe it's now, maybe it's later. I don't know, God, but I pray that you would help us to see you bigger. I pray that you would help me to see you bigger, God. That your power, your might, your holiness, your love, your justice would be huge and that in proportion to that, the way in which I see you, the way in which I see people, the way in which I see myself would flow from that. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for who you are and what you've done for us. It's because of Christ that we pray.